You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Washing, make the beds, <laughs> just little ways of adding value. Um, and one, one, I remember one client saying to me, you just did everything with so much love. Well, kind of when you've got that, you know that you've transcended the fee-for-service thing. You've transcended the value of money. You begin to operate in the sphere of grace, of gift-giving and receiving and uh, some things are just too valuable to be truly measured by money. And something like that is going on here in Mark chapter 14. This woman brings her perfume. She pours it on Jesus' head. She's showing how much she treasures the body of Jesus in an action which just makes no sense from a monetary point of view. And in the same way, I want to encourage you to treasure the body of Jesus. In a few minutes, I'm going to urge you to honor it and to tenderly care for it. But first, I want to help you know how to recognize the body of Jesus. So what do I mean by the body of Jesus? So far, I've been deliberately ambiguous. Do I mean the flesh and blood body of our Lord Jesus, the historical Jesus? Or do I mean the church? Well, I mean both. Let me just explain. And to grasp this, what we need to do is just take a step back and look at the sweep of these few chapters, Mark 11 through 14, because what's going on there is that Mark is, Jesus is redefining the worship of God. You see, up till this point, the place for God's people to meet with him was the temple in Jerusalem. And here in this section of Mark, Jesus himself is there going to the temple along with enormous crowds of pilgrims who've come from all parts of Israel to be in Jerusalem, to come to the temple. They're there for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They've come to pray at the temple. They've come to make offerings. They've come to, to, to eat the Passover there in Jerusalem. And Jesus was there with them, but for a different reason. Jesus was there in Jerusalem and in the temple to abolish the temple worship. Remember in chapter 11, we, we dealt with it a few weeks ago. Remember that day when Jesus goes to the temple? He suspends. You remember? He overturns the tables and drives out the money changers. And, and, and for a time, he suspends the sacrificial practice of the temple. He cancels the temple temporarily. Just before that, remember he curses the fig tree. Comes to the fig tree, no fruit curses it. Comes to the temple, no fruit abolishes it. That's what Mark is teaching us in the way those parables are put together. Then in Mark 12, he tells the parable of the tenants. Remember the tenants, and in the end of that parable, the owner of the vineyard comes and evicts the tenants. God comes and evicts his people. And gives it to others. And then in chapter 13, remember, he prophesies that the temple will be destroyed. He stands in the presence of the temple, inside of the temple, and he says, not one stone will be left on another. And that prophecy was fulfilled less than a generation later by the Romans. So Jesus is in Jerusalem to abolish the temple as the place to worship Israel's God. Well, where will the people go then? What is the place that you are supposed to go to to meet with God? And the answer is 
his own body. At his trial, a couple of chapters later, I'm sorry, later in this chapter, at his trial, some people will recall that Jesus said something like, I will destroy this temple and in three days we'll build it again. Three days. I'll build it again. Three days. What's that a reference to? His resurrection. Temple gone. In its place, the resurrected body of Jesus. In the next section, Dave's going to take us there next week. Very next section, Jesus gathers his disciples together to, to, to celebrate the new Passover, the new covenant Passover. This is the new place, the new thing, the new people of God. And at the critical moment, he takes the bread and he says, this is my body. New people of God centered around the body of Jesus. Takes the cup. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. A new community is born, gathering to worship God, no longer in the temple, but around the body of Jesus. And then in one of the mysteries of the Christian faith, this new gathered community, gathered to the body of Jesus, becomes the body of Jesus. That's why Paul returns again and again to the idea of the church as the body of Christ. You know, the diversely gifted but unified body of the Lord Jesus. His eyes, his hands, his feet in the world. And somehow, by some amazing insight or intuition, this woman not only discerns this transition, this change, this new center of worship, but she comes prepared for it. She comes with her jar of oil and she enacts it. She's like the first person to come to the new temple and worship God in the body of Jesus. She comes to the house of Simon the leper, presumably the healed leper, and there in the main room of the house, there's people gathered, Simon and his guests reclining at the table. You know how they used to sit not at chairs, but on their side with their feet stretched out away from the table. She comes and finds the guests reclining at the table. She sees Jesus. And so she comes to him, not from the front, but from behind. She doesn't come to say anything to Jesus. She doesn't come to his face. She doesn't come and ask for his permission. She comes from behind him. Must have been a surprise to Jesus. What is going on? She breaks her jar. She pours it over his head. It runs down over his hair, over his body. He pours the perfume, as Jesus says, on my body. She sees the body of Jesus, and she recognizes it as the place to bring her offering. And in this way, she treasures the body of Jesus. Friends, I, I want you to know how to recognize the body of Jesus. And this woman provides a model for us. There were lots of people there, presumably, gathered at that table in the home of Simon the leper, but she had only one person in mind, and that was Jesus. And actually, it was his body she came looking for. And in the same way, when we gather, we come to the body of Jesus. We come to his body, and so we become the body of Jesus. 
And of course, you know how it is. We gather like any other social group. We turn up at approximately the appointed time. Some people come early. Some people come late. That's the way it is. And then at the appointed time, someone calls us to attention. And then in a dozen different ways, what we Christians do is that we begin to declare our uniqueness, the thing we've gathered to, the thing we have gathered for. And we begin to remind each other about the story of our Lord Jesus. And we tell about his life and his death and his resurrection and his glorious ascension. And we speak of his return. We've spoken of all of those things this morning already. We tell the story of the body of Jesus. And as we tell that story, we become the body of Jesus. And so I want to encourage you, take these stories with you wherever you go. Whatever church you go to, take these stories with you. The story of this woman as she reenacts the story of Jesus. Take them with you to any kind of church. It may be a strange church to you. It may be a church with different practices and customs. They may be gathering and worshiping in an entirely different language. But listen to what they say about the body of Jesus. And when you hear them telling the story about Jesus... When you hear the story of the body of Jesus, you are listening to the body of Christ forming in that place. I went once to a Norwegian Reformed service on Easter Sunday. It was beautiful, beautiful music and beautiful in so many ways. I couldn't understand a thing. It was all in Norwegian. I, had, I, I didn't have anything to, to help me understand it. Then I heard them say, Jesus, stop up. Jesus, stop up. What I had was Jesus stood up. Ah, Jesus rose up. Jesus rose from the dead. And then I knew these are not, these are, I'm with my people. We belong. This is the body of Jesus. Many churches have prayer books to help them at this point to, to, to welcome people and conduct the entire service in a way that invokes the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in the Baptist church, we've never had prayer books. Well, we do have a prayer book, and it's this. The Bible is the prayer book of the Baptist church. But what that means is that we depend on our leaders each week to know the Scriptures well enough to center us and help us keep focused. And so this morning, I want to encourage everyone who's leading our services and worship leading, remember this woman and bring us to the body of Jesus. Welcome us in the name of Jesus. Remind us of the story of the body of Jesus. We don't need the whole story. Just a part of it will do, but bring us to the center. Be, be intentional. Be deliberate about that. Declare who we are as you draw us to the center of the body of Jesus. And in your relations with other Christians across other denominations, listen carefully to the way they describe their faith. And if the story of Jesus' incarnate life, his death, his bodily resurrection, if that story is being declared, then, then they belong to us and we belong to them. They may have some weirdisms, that's true. But then so might you. <laughs> we all have weirdisms, but this is the center. The story of the body of Jesus. And if you hear that story, then you and they belong together. In the body of Jesus. So treasure the body of Jesus. Firstly by recognizing it. 
Secondly, treasure it by honoring it. Look, there was something astonishingly beautiful about this anointing. Let me tell you about the little bottle she brought with her that day. It was an alabaster jar. Hope we get to see it. A little alabaster jar. That means it was made out of a beautiful, very soft kind of stone, which you can carve by hand. And here it's been carved into the shape of a little jar. Must have had quite a long neck, just like that one does. And sealed at the top. And she obviously wanted to use the whole of it. She breaks it. She doesn't take the stopper out. She breaks it. She had decided to use the entire contents of the jar that day. The jar was filled with a fragrant oil. It's called nard or spike nard is the name of the plant in, in some forms. And it was amazingly expensive. Maybe fifty dollars or $60,000. <laughs> Maybe more. Fifty or sixty. Imagine if you had that in your hand and it's worth fifty dollars or $60,000. Extraordinarily expensive. Why was it so expensive? Well, the answer is that it came from a very long way away. This oil is made from the roots of a plant that only grows at very high altitude. Now, where might you go in the world to find people taking care of high-altitude gardens and pastures? Well, the clue is in the word nard. The word nard is a Sanskrit word, Sanskrit from the Indian sub. And if you were on the Indian subcontinent, where would you go to find a high-altitude place? You'd go to the Himalayas, wouldn't you? The Himalayas. This oil came from Nepal. <laughs> well, it might have come from Bhutan. It might have come from northern India. But, you know, the highest mountains in the whole of the Himalayas, well, they're in Nepal. So let's claim it for Nepal, shall we? <laughs> Let's say this oil came 5,000 kilometers from Nepal. In Nepal, you can get it to this day. It's called Jatamasi. Jatamasi. You can buy it, about $1,300 a liter. What was so special about this oil? Well, it's amazingly fragrant. The smell is sweet and leathery and fungal. Don't ask me to go any further with that. I haven't smelled it myself. Sweet, leathery, fungal. What is that? Incredibly sweet mushrooms. I don't know. Incredibly sweet shoes. I, 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 there it is. Um, Giri has smelled it. You know, Giri, our friend from Nepal. Stand up, Giri. Give us a little wave. Come on, Giri. Give, give a round of applause for Giri. Here's our resident Nepalese, and Giri has smelled this. This is what Geary says about it. He says that, he says it's very beautiful. He says if, if someone has dabbed it on their body, the scent will fill the whole room they are in. And if somebody has it on their body and they walked past five minutes before, you will still smell it. And if it's on your body, you'll still smell it a week later. <laughs> Strong, so fragrant, so beautiful. Powerful, isn't it? So this woman brought this incredibly precious perfume and she pours it over the head of Jesus. 
the best perfume, the most expensive, the most beautiful, extraordinarily fragrant, the only, the kind of thing only the rich, the very powerful would normally experience. It's a perfume fit for royalty. And so she brings it, and like a prophet, she anoints the head of Jesus with it. You know, that's what the ancient prophets did to anoint the kings of Israel. Took the oil and poured it on their heads. She was making him a king. She was anointing him for royalty. And so we need to ask the question of ourselves, how do we, what do we do to honor the body of Jesus? Once we've recognized that we are in the presence of the body of Jesus, then we need some way of honoring his body. And so I'm asking, what does our tradition offer us to help us act out our honoring of the body of Jesus? I don't know whether you've been in a Catholic church or a high Anglican church, and I, have you ever noticed people um, coming down the central aisle and as they, before they sit down, they, they sort of drop the knee and cross themselves. Have you ever seen that? It's called genuflecting. Um, what's going on there? Why, why, why would people do that? Well, they are kind of bowing to the body of Jesus. That happens in churches where they believe that the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine that we share together in the Lord's Supper, that, that bread and the wine, when the priest consecrates it, that it becomes, literally becomes, the body and blood of Jesus. And when that communion or the mass is conducted, there's a little bit of bread left over, and that little bit of bread is left on the altar, and sometimes it's in a little box, and sometimes there's a light which goes on when the consecrated bread is in the box. And so for them, that is the body of Jesus. And so they bow the knee to the body of Jesus. Now, personally, I don't believe the leftover bread is the body of Jesus. But hey, before we get all judgmental about that, my question is, what do we do? What do we do to honor the body of Jesus? We need some way of symbolizing and recognizing the body of Jesus, not in a box on the table, but in each other. And in the gathering of Christ's people, maybe we should genuflect to one another. Maybe we need some kind of thing we say to one another that acknowledges that we are the body of Christ gathering. I've mentioned Nepal, so let's, let's go there again. Nepali Christians greet one another with a Christian version of namaste. Now, you know, namaste is something like I honor the God in you, something, something like that. It's kind of a bowing of the head, a putting together the hands. Um, Nepalese Christians say, Jai Masi. And it means Christ be praised. Jai Masi, Christ be praised. So they've taken a traditional greeting in their culture and, and, and reinterpreted it to make it a Christian expression. Christ be praised. Well, this is a remarkably fitting day to be thinking about greetings, isn't it? <laughs> the day when we're thinking about this and this. Here's another one, Jaimasi. I, I don't suppose we need to speak Nepalese, but there's a pattern from another church and another tradition 
At least it's a distinctive way for Christians to acknowledge one another and maybe even to acknowledge the Christ who is in us and amongst us of whom we are his body. I'm searching for a way for us to habitually express our reverence for the body of Jesus in our midst. And I guess I'm asking why we don't do this routinely. And the answer, I suppose, is that, well, we probably don't think it's that important. Yet, and yet, the New Testament teaches us to honor one another. To, you know, there's only one contest that, there's only one competition that is affirmed in the pages of the New Testament. It's this, outdo one another in showing honor. You know that's, you know, when you're at the door and you, Two people trying to go through the door, and you go, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you. My father used to do that, after you, after you. And so when you finally relented and went first, then he'd try and crush his way through at the same time. And that's the kind of competition that it ought to be in the church. No, no, I will honor you. Oh, no, I wouldn't have that. I will honor you. No, no, I have to. Scripture tells me I must outdo you in the way I, I'm being ridiculous, but Honoring one another, outdo one another in showing honor and, and, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Can you see the, the moral connection there between love of Christ and submitting in the body of the church? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I am encouraging us all, treasure the body of Jesus, recognize it, and when you see it, honor it, and then lastly, tenderly care. For the body of Jesus. So here comes this woman out of the blue with her jar of incredibly expensive perfume. She comes up behind Jesus, pours it over his head. And do you see how Jesus interprets her action? He calls it a beautiful thing in verse 6. And then he says, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. We have no way of knowing what she meant by what she did. But Jesus receives it as an act of kindness in preparation for his coming death. Death is looming. Wheels are in motion. Jesus knows it. In that tone, in that mood, in that place, at that time, with his death looming, Jesus takes comfort in the generosity of this woman. She soothes his body. She comforts him in the face of his death. She tenderly cares for him. And at this point, if we just draw back a touch and see how what this woman does on this day enacts the whole of the gospel, it, it, it enacts the incarnation. She, she, she anoints his body it enacts his death. She anoints his body for burial. And it enacts his messiahship, his anointed one, his Christ status, for she anoints his head. Incarnation, crucifixion, ascended glory. The whole gospel is there. Remember some weeks ago we were in Philippians 2 and we we remember that ancient song. Do you remember the descending, ascending, feeling story of Philippians chapter 2? God who 
Christ, who did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, becoming a human being, and was obedient even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has lifted him up. That whole story is here in this action. And that's why when Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. And he's not just saying this is a quirky story and it'll be added on to the gospel. He's saying this is the gospel in action. She enacts the gospel. And the story will be told because in the telling of the story, we're telling the gospel about Jesus. So she tenderly cares for Jesus' body at the time when he was preparing himself for his own crucifixion. And in the same way, we should tenderly care for the body of Jesus when it suffers. And I'm sure you noticed there the reference to the poor. And if you read it quickly, you know, they say this money could have been given to the poor. If you read it quickly, it could sound like Jesus is dismissing the importance of caring for the poor. Poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want. But actually, if you think about it, what this brief conversation underscores is that both Jesus and his disciples assume that they will be always caring for the poor. They both assume there will be poor people in and around the body of the church and that they will have a responsibility for care in caring for them. Yet another way of treasuring the body of Jesus, tenderly care for it when it is in need. Folks, isn't the church an amazing place when it is tenderly caring for those in need? And, you know, there is no end of human need. Even here in the richest, one of the richest nations in the world, we are in need. Need may be poverty, but it may be sadness or loss or regret, physical pain or fear. And that Christ's church should be the place where you can bring your grief and your pain and you can find someone to tenderly care for you. And I know this can go wrong in lots of ways, but at the core, well, we need to be like this woman who intuited pain, who anticipated pain, who responded with tenderness and with generosity. Um, we like to think we're immortal, but we all have death in our bodies. We all have a day appointed for us. We are all moving steadily towards that final day. And at some level, even though we pretend, we know it. We know it about ourselves. We know it about our lives. And we look for a place and a people who will embrace us in our humanness, our human weakness. We look for people who will have a kind word and a warm touch for us. We each need that. How wonderful it is when the church is like that. So important that we reach out to those in need and that we receive it from others. The body of Jesus then, when we gather, we care tenderly one for the other. And we pray for one another. What a privilege it is to draw alongside our brothers and sisters and to pray. So you, um, we may not be able to hug each other, but we can pray for each other. And you don't have to put your hand on someone. You can just hold your hand near them and you can pray. And so I think it's helpful and wise that we keep a little distance, but we can still minister to one another. So let me encourage you, don't back away. Uh, I, I know it's a little awkward, but my rule of thumb is when in doubt, reach out almost like for today, it's kind of like reach out, but don't quite touch, but, but keep your face up and your 
pointing towards people and your heart open and your arms open, your life open, and you can talk, you can talk, you can talk, you can talk, right? And respond to people. People need to know they have a place. People, you may not be able to touch them, but people need to know you're interested in them. So don't back away. Stay close, kind of close, you know, kind of pointed towards people. So just to finish, treasure the body of Jesus. Recognize it, honor it, tenderly care for it. When I was a young guy, I was thinking about full-time ministry. I went to visit a friend of mine who was in ministry in Adelaide. One night he asked a young couple to come over and pray for me. And um, obviously, sorry, I needed prayer in some particular way. And they began to ask me, what, how do you feel about the church? Man, I just went into my tirade about how disappointing the church was, compromised, hopeless, pathetic, makes me so angry. And they stopped me. No, 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 no. That is not of the Spirit of God. And then they prayed for me. Lord, take away this anger, give him grace. And from that, I'm sure, 40 years later, came has come over those years a tender love for the body of Jesus. Maybe you need something to pray for you like that. So sweet when believers come into the body of the church, honoring it, loving it, treasuring it. So sad when believers come into the church critical, attacking, negative, disappointed. Let me encourage you. Uh, in the Lord, transform your heart so that you come into ministry, come into the body of the church, treasuring it. On the day I was ordained to full-time ministry, the leader said, never forget how great a treasure has been entrusted into your care. And folks, I'm going to say to you, don't forget how great a treasure has been entrusted into your care. May God teach each of us to be like this unnamed woman and treasure the body of Jesus. Bless you guys.